Are you guys going to do an episode on celery juice? Guess what I had this morning. Celery juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. Really? Why? I'm not even joking. Okay, so... You know that carrot's the best. Yeah, I know carrot's the best. I, I it's, met- not a, it's not a matter of opinion, it's a fact. We know that now. Yeah, yeah. Heavily yeah. researched. Really? It's the best one of our one of our episodes. Just taste the best. Scientific research into which juice is the best. Yeah. It all came up carrot, baby. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's almost like it's a landslide. Everyone likes carrot the best. Yeah. I like it. So this is Jeremy's Iron. It's a, a science podcast. We deal with new and upcoming science and we're smack bang in the middle of a two-part series on water fluoridation, an investigation. A subway series. A subway series yeah. on water fluoridation where last week we looked at the alleged benefits of water fluoridation and whether they still apply in the age of fluoride in toothpaste. And this week we're going to be looking at the alleged health detriments so looking at the conspiracies around rat poison and the pineal gland and all this kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of people that are anti-water fluoridation. And we're going to see if their claims hold up to scientific scrutiny. Or if it even, if it even matters. That's right. <laughs> but also we have an esteemed guest with us as well. We thought we'd bring in a dentist who might be able to school us a little bit on the uh, how fluoride affects the teeth. We've got Dr. Lewis Ehrlich in the building from the Sydney Holistic Dental Centre. He also has his own podcast called Mouthing Off. Uh, he's an ex-professional football player as well. And, can I say, the possessor of one of the finest table tennis forehands I've ever seen in my life. Welcome, Dr. Lewis Ellick. It's great to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, The my... forehand is news to me. Well, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, that's my greatest achievement. Yeah. How's your backhand? Yeah, it's no, no good? steady. <laughs> okay. But uh, I like to run around it. And you know, so you're always on the left side of the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got you. We've got you in because we want to talk about um, holistic dentistry and also alternative medicine. But <laughs> can we kick you off with a question, which is how close you came to becoming this season's bachelor? I was saying because I do. I heard down the grapevine that you were in the running to become this season's bachelor. Yeah. How did that go down? I thought we were talking about fluoride. Yeah, we will. We'll get there. But uh, yeah, so just sitting at work and um, there was a note on the table from one of our receptionists. I was seeing a patient and it was basically so-and-so from Warner Brothers reached out. They called me at work and wanted to speak to me about potentially being on The Bachelor, <laughs> which is not generally what you sort of see when you're in between fixing teeth, but... Was there a red rose on the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I accepted it. No, um, no, I actually declined. Got early was it like, this is Andrew G. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, no, uh, it didn't really go too far, but... Um, I think you're lucky, Did you actually, right? did you talk with them? Were they kind of like... Talked on the phone, yeah. and then I was getting a bit of a uh, vibe of what it would be like. Yeah, uh, sounds brutal. And I'd have to miss work for like three months and... yeah. Yeah, it's just all bad. What and plus, what? reputation, not yeah. ideal. If Does anybody take- come out good from those shows? Has anyone ever come through that 
with their reputation yeah, intact? I think so, but I just don't. I'm. I kind of like my privacy a bit, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, some some previous offers to go on things like Love Island and trashy things <laughs> like that as well. <laughs> I'm you, like, well, if I'm. But the, once you're I, in there, right? Once you got your foot in the door, you're famous for life in Australia. Yeah. You can be on whatever show you want to be on forever. You can have a morning talk show. You can have. Uh, you'll be on. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Yeah, exactly. The list you goes can do on. Those. You can yeah. do it all. But I mean, you know, fif- yours. 15 years of study. Mass you singer. You, got, you kind of want to be taken a bit seriously and you could really just throw it out <laughs> Cash, the window if you said in. yes to one of those things. Cash so. in. Think of the advertising it has. It'd bring through for the Sydney Dental Holistic Centre. You'd be inundated with That's patients of the yeah. ages we all make- 14 to uh, 17, all female. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, we all make mistakes, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Going from there, I kind of wanted to talk to you initially about your podcast because you do you started that maybe about a year ago. Mm. Uh, it's called Mouthing, Mouthing Off with yep. Dr. Lewis Ehrlich. Um, what network are you on? Network? Yeah, what, what podcast network are you a part uh, of? Libsyn. Lib- Libsyn? Oh, I don't think... That's not the network. That's just What's your... What's the network? Oh, we're on the Ironworks Podcast Network. Yeah. Which... Uh, it's a collection of podcasts. Collection of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, no it's a production company that runs a series of podcasts. Yeah. Right. Most of which don't exist. Okay. Well, if you got any... Well, <laughs> well we can I'm, join forces. You can be part of the... You uh, can join the Ironworks Podcast. podcast. I can't Network. wait. Yeah. yeah it's, it. it's, it's one of the more powerful scientific podcast networks in Australia. I'm more likely to sign for that than The Bachelor. So that's good. There you go. Not bad. Um, what was the genesis of the podcast? So it, it, it is about, obviously, oral health and hygiene and... Yeah, I just think that there's a lot of confusing health messages out there as you guys would probably attest to. Absolutely. And just figured I would provide some nice, ideally evidence-based um, information for free to people that are a bit confused. Because there's, you know, if you look at diets even, mm. high fat, low fat, low fat, paleo, carnivore, everyone's confused. Mm. Um, and that's the case with a, a lot of different areas of health. So I thought, why not? Do a podcast and help the people out. Sweet. We get it. And then there's a little oral health link in there. It's only about five minutes or 5% of a podcast, I'd say. Mm. Oh, okay, so you don't necessarily link a topic to oral health. We do, okay. but it's just... It, I'm not going to sit there boring people with tooth facts for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, so you bury the tooth stuff towards the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's in disguise. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I, I've listened to a, a few of the apps and the, um, you, you do have a, a wide variety of guests from, uh, there's, there's a chiropractor, um, you had, um, I forgot, I forgot her name, Al, uh, Alex, um, Alex Stewart, yeah. um, who is the low-tox life advocate. Yeah. That was an interesting um, show because yeah. she was basically advocating, uh, well, a holistic approach to health, which I'm sure being part of the Sydney Dental Holistic Centre Holistic Dental Center, sorry. Sydney Holistic Dental Center. Yeah, it's tricky. SHDC. SHDC, yeah. Um, do you advocate that kind of holistic approach to one's health over yeah. and above? You know? I mean, I just think the body's connected. So if you're looking at things in isolation, I think you can potentially, um, you know, miss out on a, a great opportunity to make people healthier. So, you know, if you if you take the mouth as an example... Traditionally, dentistry has just all been about teeth, teeth and gums, and not the person connected. Roots. Yeah, roots exactly. Exactly. What's attached to those roots? Exactly, a Bones. human. 
Bones, muscles, you know. It's all about bones, isn't it? Says the orthopedic. The point surgeon. is, it comes back down to bones, right? Yeah, right. Teeth are like little mouth bones. Exactly. <laughs> right? That's true. Think about it. It's true. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So am I. Then and what are good. what are what are cavities? But little little mouth bone infections. Exactly. Yeah. But you know the gums have a blood supply, and that can affect the rest of your body. You know, there's links between gum gum disease and Alzheimer's and cancer and diabetes and heart disease and the bacteria that live underneath your gums can spread into those areas and affect the the, the health of other also areas of the into body. joints a big issue people mm. get dental work or have uh, bad mouth disease around the time they have uh, hip and knee joint replacements mm. high risk infection or higher than you know their peers so well yeah. we one of our episodes actually i think it was our very first episode mm-hmm. we looked at the connection between flossing <clears throat> and erectile fitness that's right. Because uh, we got, I, well, I'm not sure if you know this, but this was inspired by you. Like we saw your, because you tweeted. Flaccid penis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got the wrong guy. <laughs> and we thought, hmm, I wonder if his gums are related to this. <laughs> um, no, it was a part of your, I, I remember seeing an Instagram post of yours where um, you, I think it was some study connecting a, a poor, I'm probably getting the terminology wrong, erectile fitness, if that's the right word. Dysfunction. And erectile dysfunction and lack of flossing or, or poor... Well, it's gum health, yeah. Okay, so, what, what, I mean, what's the connection there? Like, So, I think the issue is inflammation. So, one of the most right. common places of inflammation in the body is in the mouth. The surface area of your gum, your gums, is about the size of an adult palm. So if you... I thought you could say tennis court. That's often the <laughs> metric, right? How many times have you heard something is the surface area of a tennis court? Yeah. It's, it's like the standard metric for all surface areas. That'd be a, uh, a big set of gums. and uh, <laughs> Very floppy gums. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the issue there is that if your gums are red and inflamed, obviously they have a blood supply that goes around your body and inflammation isn't good for, you know, erectile function, you know. And so, if you can minimize inflammation and the really nasty anaerobic bacteria that can get into the bloodstream and then hence into the the penis region, mm. <laughs> scientific. So, um, whose oral health is it that affects the penis? <laughs> no, but I think Judd and I had a question about that, right? Which was, do we know if it's causation or correlation? For example. And which way does it go? It, does poor uh, erectile function result in bad oral hygiene? Mm. Right? Do we know? <laughs> We're all thinking it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. What do you mean? Like, I don't remember that. But no, I'm as in like, Well, the idea is obviously that poor oral hygiene and yeah. gum health results in erectile dysfunction. But what if the erectile dysfunction... No, I get what you're saying. I was trying to... Poor... For some reason, I thought you were being serious. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, good. Got it. Cool. Um, well, in terms of the, your practice, um, it is the Holistic Dental Center. So, is it part of your role description as the dentist? As to a look holistic at penises dentist? on most of your patients. Well, okay. <laughs> that's not so, that's not so funny. Like, to actually consider the patient's overall picture of health, they might not confess to you that they're having erectile dysfunction. But do you look at other things while you're checking out their gums and ask them things about you know, levels of stress. And, do you mean like surrogate markers for oral hygiene? No. I mean, do you consider yourself a practitioner of a holistic health as opposed to a pure dentist? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you, are you yeah. looking at their teeth only or well, are you actually 
trying to help them with their holistic health picture? I think it's our responsibility. Uh, and I'm sorry, to, I'll just get you to speak a bit more on the mic. Right, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's our responsibility to know about the signs and symptoms within the oral cavity that can suggest potential systemic issues. Now, right. I, I don't have time in a day or the expertise to, you know... Do a full physical. Yeah, do a everyone. full physical or like even, you know, if I suspect a nutritional deficiency or I, I suspect undiagnosed diabetes, which you can tell from mm. gum health a lot of the time. Um, like, uh, I'm not going to treat that, obviously, but it's my responsibility. Meth addiction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? To, um, you know, go through and say... Hey, I think there's an issue with your insulin. Meth consumption. But meth consumption, definitely. <laughs> it's out of we don't, control. We don't see too much of that in the city, thank God. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like one of those things where we just sort of think that we need to call on other people uh, to get better health outcomes. So mm. we could just look at the teeth and gums and say, okay, x-rays, um, some photos and a chat about your teeth and everything looks good with the teeth and gums. Or you can look a little deeper and pick up on things like sleep apnea or diabetes or cardiac issues or things like that. So, you know, I just think it's it's more interesting from my standpoint, uh, but it's also, you know, far more satisfying because you can actually get people's health under control and, you know, based on things that no one else has picked up on. Hmm. Cool. I've got a question. Hit me. It's going to bore you. It's a bit like in the weeds. Amalgam. Yeah. Why don't we use it anymore? Oh, no, sorry. Why would you want to use it? What are the benefits? Well, the- can you explain it to, to someone? I'll, I'll play the dumb guy, inverted commas. Um, <laughs> what's amalgam? Amalgam is the metal fillings that we used to use, right? And places often had to advertise as being metal free. You don't see many people getting silver cavities anymore, uh, silver fillings. I know it's got mercury in it. Is that F- right? 50% mercury yeah. by weight. Quicksilver. Maybe is what you know it as. Right. Um, and is that where we get the idea of a grill from? No. No. <laughs> no, those are, they'll be the gold caps. Gotcha. Uh, but no, so we have this movement towards, I guess, what composites and ceramics rather than using amalgam. Yeah. But I have heard people still say that amalgam, functionally, from your side, is actually still better than some composites, resins, and ceramics. Why? Yeah, so I think that amalgams actually served the dental profession really well over the years but often i guess they're not criticized to the to the same extent in terms of like if you took an x-ray a diagnostic x-ray often they'll scatter an x-ray beam sure and so because because of their metallic nature and so you won't always necessarily see decay underneath them yeah so a lot of people just watch them and watch them and watch them and watch them. But if you actually, well, we remove a fair few of them yeah. um, and they have to be removed safely, which is a whole nother, another story. So you're not getting mercury exposure, but you'll find that a lot of the ones that seemingly looked healthy are not so healthy underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they served the industry well for a long, long time. They were been placed since like the 1800s. But I just think we've got Better. better materials now, more biocompatible. Do they have more, any more advantage over composites? Yeah, they'll, they're, they're stronger okay. at the back of the mouth where we produce more force mm-hmm. uh, than, say, a really big composite. Yeah. But that's where a ceramic w- works. Mm, yeah, and sure. so our ceramics are getting really strong. They behave more like two structure. Mm-hmm. And 
they look nicer and you know they're more biocompatible because ultimately you don't really want 50 percent mercury chilling, around your chilling mouth. in your mouth yep getting in your blood supply going what's down the other half is there silver in there too the silver copper tin zinc right yeah Sorry, cool. Was, no, that no, was, that that's was a little. This is this is good info. That was a deep cut. In fact, it's probably a good segue into the uh, you know technical chat around fluoride because yeah. realistically, this is as I said at the top of the episode, where right in the middle of a double play on water fluoridation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, essentially, from the last episode we did, we, we I personally came to the conclusion. I think you might not have been on exactly on the same page as me, maybe Justin. Yeah, but I certainly. Um, came to the conclusion that water fluoridation from a public health intervention side of things is probably a good thing because people, essentially the fluoride in the water can help people's teeth who don't necessarily have the highest level of hygiene, their own personal level of oral hygiene that I might not brush twice a day with a fluoride toothpaste, etc. But I got the impression that for, you know, someone like me or anyone that, that does brush twice a day with fluoride toothpaste, ingesting Only water... Yeah, only twice. <laughs> I floss. Hey, look, I, I floss once and brush twice. What else are you going to do? That's pretty good. It's not bad. Happy with that. Um, I want but I, got pick. The, I definitely got the impression that I don't need to ingest the fluoride from the water because it's not actually doing me much additional benefit to your high fluoride toothpaste and mouthwash. Yeah. What, what's the impression from the dental industry, uh, the dental profession, Complex. like uh, around water fluoridation? Like complex. Yeah, it's good, right? Are there, are there, there vested opinions around fluoride in the water or is it not even a thing you worry about because you're like, well, we don't deal with that. We just deal with, you know, make sure you brush your teeth and we... I think as a general rule, the, the profession is very pro-water fluoridation. Sure. Um, you know, the, it's, a, it's, a whole, it's a whole conversation about, you know, in low socioeconomic areas where perhaps their oral hygiene isn't crash hot and they're consuming a lot of you know soft drinks energy drinks all that sort of stuff that you'll see in random communities around australia then obviously that's a hell of a lot different to the socioeconomic groups in the city where there's organic food and sipped on my dandelion freaking tea exactly exactly so i mean you love it though you like it uh, i know sadly i kind of do why are you pretending you don't i'm not pretretending i'm i'm confessing it's just, opening up. Yeah. It's it's a really it's it's a really interesting one because I can see both sides of the of the story. Mm. You know, I can understand the people that you know are dentists in random remote communities, and they just the like communi- Randwick or something. Yeah, Randwick exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but just um, they're just you know ravaged by poor poor hygiene and poor diet, and so they just need all the help that they can get, right? Um, but then in cities where there's high education, access to services, you know, better quality foods, all these sorts of things, then, you know, perhaps a topical fluoride is, is enough, you know. Right. Because there's also, thinking a bit more holistically, there is also, you know, some more systemic effects potentially of those, of ingestion, you know, as an example... There's a under there's a there's a thyroid issue epidemic in this country, mm. and so if you go back to like high school chemistry and there's the the halogen groups in the periodic table, which is uh, fluoride, 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 yeah. fluoride, chloride, iodide, 
iodine, yeah. Iodine, yeah. You know, so the, for healthy thyroid function, you need iodine mm. and then fluorine. Fluorine, that's how we say it. Yeah. Um, that outcompetes iodine for a spot in the in the thyroid. Yeah, yeah. So then we've got a thyroid, underactive thyroid, overactive thyroid, thyroid cancers are on the rise, etc. Mm. So then, you know, can you just get the benefit from a topical fluoride that you're not ingesting? You know, so you've got to think about, about the body as a whole, which is kind of what we do. Mm. And if you're keen on learning more about the thyroid, I believe you did an episode on it on mouthing off or you had a thyroid yeah, specialist yeah. in, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was quite interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's just an example of like thinking a bit more globally that, you know, people just see it in isolation. Okay, flu- water fluorida- fluoridation hardens teeth, makes it more acid resistant. That's the end of the story. Well, okay, that's one side of it, but there's more to the body than just the oh, mouth, Yeah, it's also, know. it's an ecosystem and if it's replacing the iodine, which might be useful. And I've heard people it. say, if you drink fluoridated water, you don't need to brush your teeth. Yeah, see, I mean... Common look, misconception. I mean, if you actually look at the, the the studies on tooth decay... Yeah. You know, countries that fluoridate their water versus countries, countries that, that do... Did I say do or don't? Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. The comparison. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a general trend of a reduction in tooth decay. And the, re- the reason for that, in my opinion, is because people are now aware of the importance of oral hygiene. Mm. So, Sorry, a general not not in comparison between the groups. You mean just both groups are getting better? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I think that was a Harvard study. Yeah. Um. And yeah, the reason is is that people are brushing and flossing their teeth, and you know, water, water picking. Water picking. Yeah. Very crucial. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's. I, was, I also have an air flossing unit by Phillips. Oh, it's pretty aggressive. Yeah. I still yeah. don't have the... I'm not in the... Devices. Ele- yeah, devices game. I really should. You're not into, I think into electricals. My bro uses it and his teeth are like pearly, pearly white. Yeah, dude. You got and mine are a bit stucco. So I, dude, they're, so, it's, they're pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Justin's it makes, teeth or the... <laughs> <laughs> it makes um, brushing makes time brushing a hell of a lot more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I might dude, go back to the old like kids Colgate that comes out in a star formation. You know, like the, when you squeeze yeah. it out. Colgate or Aquafresh? Aquafresh is pretty cool. It's got the colors in it. Ooh. Do you it's know they've red, green, and white? Do you know they've expanded the size of the circle? That, so that you use more. That you use more, so that you buy more. Yeah, <laughs> they've, been, they've been doing that for like for like decades. It's been right? creeping you need up like on so us. Little. <laughs> yeah. This is the hard yeah, how topics. Much, how we much should do you be put doing? on? How much toothpaste do you apply? Well, I, I've, I've been applying the same length throughout my entire life, so I've been getting a, a greater <laughs> circumference. A penis, a penis size yeah. length of a strip of, of toothpaste. <laughs> I don't know how you incorporated a penis into that? What length? If I you know, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm obviously getting more and more of this. I thought you need a pea-sized amount. Right. Yeah. But if you can't control the, uh, the diameter... What can you control? That's right. In life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wonder why I went there. Come yeah. on. Um, what do you use? What's your brand? I, I use a straight-up Colgate. I don't go too, too fancy. Yeah. Um, which is, again, an, a beautiful segue because I do want to ask you about non-fluoride toothpaste because they're all the rage in the sort of alternative hippie communities, particularly in places like Newtown where we're recording this podcast, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of people that think fluoride's bad. I don't want it in my mouth. You don't um, want it crystallized your third eye. It's a toxin. I don't want my third eye crystallized. Um, so calcified, or crystallized or whatever. Yeah, it's fair. So what's your take on fluoride-free toothpaste? Is, is fluoride on a, in a topical application? Is it crucial? Can it be um, 
substituted, I guess my question is. By the water. Or whatever. I actually don't, I haven't looked into what alternative toothpaste are, but you know that the, is it Gregory's or something? No, it's like Grant's. Grant's, yeah. Yeah. Tom's of Maine was a big one back home. Yeah. Right. What's your take on those? Do you, do you advise your uh, patients against using them or? Well, see, this is the, the whole holistic angle again. It's actually analyzing every single person individually mm. rather than being dogmatic about a particular, um, you know, you must use this or you mustn't use that. It's just obviously makes it easier to be a practitioner because if I said everyone needs a fluoride toothpaste or everyone needs a fluoride-free toothpaste, I don't have to make a decision. You know, I don't have to think. But um, we just analyze it case by case. So, for example, if you came in and you had five cavities in the last 18 months and you were using a fluoride-free toothpaste, yeah. I would say, you know what, you probably need to have that extra yeah. protection. If, if while he told you, you he uses a, a homemade poultice of uh, crushed dandelion, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, and olive oil, yeah. you'd be like, maybe you should just try and like Licorice Colgate yeah. <laughs> or yeah. something. Just exactly. give it a shot. Exactly. Yeah. But then I'm also... Start working for you. I just rub charcoal all around my like teeth and stuff. There's charcoal uh, toothpaste too, isn't there? There is. Yeah. All over Instagram. I know. It's, I'm not a fan of it. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the, conversely, I've got a patient who's only ever used a natural fluoride-free toothpaste and is 45 and doesn't have a cavity. Yeah. So am I going to tell him to change? To stop? Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's case yes. by case. But it seems, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it seems like there's not an overarching... You need like a power dynamic. <laughs> we need to start telling him what to do. Yeah. That's what I would Pizza. do. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I totally get that. I, I was just wondering, I guess, whether it was seen as something from the dental profession as a crucial ingredient for toothpaste or it can... Well, toothpaste is a toothpaste and as long as they're doing something with, you know... Well, sure grants up and down, side to side. Yeah. Circles. Cir- circular motion. Circular, circular motion. A couple, of, a couple of things on that is that um, you need to actually not have plaque on your t- teeth to get the fluoride to make it hard. Got it. <laughs> okay. So if you're using a fluoride toothpaste, but you've got plaque all over your teeth because you don't get regular cleans or you're really average with your cleaning, what have you. Tartar. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're not going to get the benefit anyway so it needs to be a clean surface um but it's a multifactorial disease everyone gets so focused on the fact that it's like fluoride or not fluoride well what are you eating how are you breathing are you dry redskins <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lots of red redskins and fantails mostly yeah perfect minties <laughs> and um diet. you know and then so there's diet there's how you're breathing are you staying hydrated is your are you getting regular cleans? Reflux. Reflux. Do you have bulimia? You know, all these things. Are you drinking a lot of carbonated beverages, including sparkling mineral water? Stuff like this. Is that no good? No good. No bueno. Oh, no way. Um, so so just, like even your soda streams and all that kind of beers? Correct. Carbonic uh, acid. No, sure. no bueno. So, you know, like it's... A, I know how you love uh, yeah, I really soda love, streams, I'm, bro. I, no, not soda streams, but like just standard bottled yeah. um, bubbly water. I've really fallen for it in like the last year or so. Well, didn't you also just have a cavity filled in? I did. Well. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the correlation. That's an erosion. And I'm a, a statistician. Yeah. That's I can tell you that's, that is fact. association <laughs> right there. Yeah. yeah. It's real. Shit. So uh, that's erosion, but also decay yeah. uh, risk as well. So, mm. yeah. So it, it, it depends on, you know, what, what, what are your other habits like as well? You can't just be so focused on on the fluoride toothpaste or not fluoride toothpaste but 
I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, that's, that's, I think it does. That, I think it does. And it, it's actually a, um, a good one for you to be giving considering, um, you know, your holistic background as well, the holistic dental practice. It's a holistic answer. So, mm-hmm. But what I would also say is that if you're going to get a fluoride toothpaste, there's a lot of other kind of potentially nasty things within those toothpaste that aren't necessarily great for you. So there are natural, more natural fluoride ones, which right. I personally use if I've, you know, dropped the ball a bit with my with my diet. You know, for example, over Christmas, I'm hoeing into a lot of chocolate and what have you. I'll jump on a fluoride toothpaste. So again, Which one do you use? I use one called Jason Power Smile. Okay. And it's got no like SLS and triclosan and all those ones that have a little bit of... I use Nutrafluor. That's the that's heavy. That's heavy, that's, right? That's heavy duty. Yeah, we give them to like cancer patients <laughs> <laughs> that have no saliva. But really, parotid gland um, uh, removal. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> don't look at it at all. Intense. Yeah, it tastes terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got no froth. That's got five thousand ppm. Ppm. It's massive. As opposed to a thousand. Yeah, someone told me to use it years ago. They're like, yeah, use a. Use this toothpaste. Yeah, no, so heavy every juice. now and then I buy one, and then I forget about it. But it's probably overkill, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like diamond teeth now. Well, I remember there was something in. I got kind of affected by this sort of anti-Colgate total. Yeah. Rhetoric on the yep. internet. I remember seeing some of this shit and I'm like, I've been using Colgate total my whole life, mm-hmm. and I can't remember what ingredient was. Triclosan. The, uh, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that was the uh, the the devil in the uh, dental detail well they've that. now brought out a Colgate total without triclosan so because so many people were worried about it well they've pulled well there's a there's a link between triclosan and um, cancer hmm. so in the US they've oral pulled, cancers just cancer generally hmm. so they've pulled it off the shelf it's banned in I think I think it's banned in Europe and America now um, or it's become it's going to get banned right, um, right. and so I noticed that they've taken it out of the Colgate Total one now. Okay. Yeah. So where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> Get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, I just think there's so many other options out there where, you know, you can... Like Jason's... Jason Power Smile. Power Smile. I like the yeah. sound of that one. I've never seen that toothpaste. Where do you buy that? I get it on iHerb. As a website. Yeah, right. iHerb.com. Okay. So you won't find this at the high street chemist you pr- you might find it at like a health health job there's also a non-fluoride one right um but i just alternate depending okay. on how good my diet is mm. after this we're gonna go to, we're on Newtown. we're gonna go look for jason's power smile oh. do you reckon we could try to get a um branded justin's power smile from them I think that could be like a um <laughs> a tie-in a tie-in yeah definitely you with your cavities and me with my stucco we'll be like we should make perfect ambassadors make our own toothpaste now there's an idea we could do that. We've got well, well, we'll we'll talk after the show, Lewis. We'll we'll. Uh, I want royalties. <laughs> Definitely. I don't think you want your name associated with anything to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be another bachelor situation. I think we'll use that. <laughs> the licorice root, the dandelion, the olive oil. I think that's going to be sweet. I think we're good to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds a good. purely abrasive toothpaste. Yeah, bricks of bicarb soda. <laughs> yeah. How good. <laughs> it's easy. Just obliterate your teeth. Yeah. How good's that? Brush once a week, otherwise you'll have no teeth left. Yeah. Play on. Uh, I wanted to ask you just briefly, and maybe this is something we can finish up on, um, about alternative medicine and alternative health. Because um, I know that that's a, that's a huge thing. And we've been sort of railing against it. We're well, not railing against it, but we did start the podcast 
as a sort of a rail against the wellness industry. Didn't a we? critical review of the wellness uh, industry. Yeah, a critical review of the wellness yeah. industry. And I've certainly noticed a lot of health experts promoting things that I think are sort of suspicious in terms of a lack of evidence, a lack of scientific mm-hmm. evidence for a lot of things. Um, anyway, I thought I'd ask you about your, your ex, not experience, but your, um, yeah, I guess your experience with, I don't know, not, not necessarily your patients, but even your personal experience with alternative medicines and whether it's acupuncture or other therapies or um, have you had sort of that experience with that sort of stuff or? Yeah, I mean, I like to, I'm not one to sort of judge something unless I've tried it myself. Mm. So... Yeah, I've I've had a dabble in some osteo and chiro and acupuncture and you know a whole a whole gamut of things. Um, but I think that people kind of hear the word holistic, and some people can think you know incense and crystals and all that sort of stuff. We actually try and take a more scientific angle and say, mm. hey, these are the studies. There's links between oral health and general health and salt crystals, similar and salt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we, there. But we do, you know also realize that you know there's a lot of people that get a lot of benefit from alternative hmm. therapies and whether we all know about the power of placebo from a lot of studies that we do so at bare minimum if people think that they're getting benefit out of it i think that's a great thing you know if they can so go what home, are you thinking right now what's, what's the um, industry opinion on dream catchers and uh, gingivitis uh don't have too much data on that <laughs> so we're still waiting for the for the data to trickle in yeah, yeah it's a good instagram post a couple, oh. couple of good uh it's <laughs> a couple of good rcts out there right now that we're yeah. still waiting for the results to come in from yeah look i mean good <laughs> i think there's some absolute bogus stuff yeah but i think that there's also a you know more towards the scientific end mm-hmm. of like alternative medicines not just blanketed alternative medicine there's like way way out there stuff but there's also stuff that's well, I think actually... our idea is that it's you, you we don't really believe in alternative medicine because if it works it's just medicine exactly that's the idea right yeah. it's only alternative it's alternative to it working is kind of how it, i see it exactly so yeah. if once we have proof that it works well that's not alternative medicine it's, that's just what we do that's just good medicine that's, that's just good medicine yeah. right that's sort of where we come, I come yeah from. well i, well, I certainly have a, a, a broader appreciation particularly as someone that does a lot of tai chi yeah and i well, it's called Qigong. I say Tai Chi just because I don't want to yeah. blow people out of the water with it. But it's just, it's Tai Chi. It's, it's, it's basically just a whole lot of bodily movements and stuff. But mm-hmm. it comes, it does come with some of this mysticism around meridians and energy flows and all this kind of stuff, right? Like, and I don't necessarily buy into that, but the visualization of all that does something to me that I think if it's placebotic, I'm happy about it. I don't mind. Like, so... I feel like that that's the way I would view a lot of this stuff where people can get whatever they want out of these things, even if it's not the active ingredient or whatever it's purported to be mm-hmm. actually scientifically working. If it is providing them with the benefits and the outcome is the same, then I guess it does work, right? Like the, the, you're kind of splitting hairs as to, you know, whether it's effective or not. Yeah, but you have to have a realistic expectation of what those benefits can be. And they're typically symptomatic benefits, not pathological benefits. They can't be pathological? No. Well, right. that's, that's what we know from the data, that it doesn't change pathology. It changes symptomatology. So it changes your subjective experience of your disease, not the disease itself. Okay. Right? So I agree with you. So if, for example... Well, what, about what, psych- about what about prevention? Psych- what about prevention? Then? Well, I mean, the way I see it is, if it's something that is largely a symptomatic disease, 
where you feel like it's the symptoms of the disease that cause the issue. Like pain stuff. Pain or... stuff, depression things. I mean, sure, there might be an underlying pathology to it, but if all you experience of it is the symptoms, well, then if you can modify those symptoms with a placebo, then that's actually pretty good. But you won't get rid of what the problem is. Now, other things like cancer will have symptoms, which you can modify with placebos, but you can't change the cancer itself. Well, here's why right. I disagree with you slightly. Maybe not the cancer stuff, but certainly right. stuff like psychosomatic physical phenomena, right? Yeah. Like, again, talking from my personal experience around having inflammation, and this is, this is, I guess, maybe a running theme with a lot of these things, this quote unquote inflammation. But for me, I got a lot of inflammation when I was dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and stuff. Mm-hmm. And with the Tai Chi came the reduction of all of these actual physical markers. No, not These aren't just like, pain and depression yeah, and anxiety like yeah. i had physical things going on in my you body did, that but those slowing down i think and- the idea for at least the idea behind those processes is that it's a the underlying pathology is psychological which is then manifested with physical ailment right so but, 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 again, but by doing relaxing things you actually are in that sense that's not placebo you're actually treating the underlying you're, 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 not, you're not getting placebo treatment. In fact, what's happening is your symptoms are actually a nocebo effect of the underlying stress that you have, right? So you are treating, I think, the underlying problem by treating your stress. But I guess what I'm saying is, let's go back to my energy flows and meridians, right? Like, sure. Prime why meridians. can't I just say that it's these meridians and energy flows that are curing me of my physical ailments? Like, there's a direct causal link between, quote, my belief in those energy flows potentially and my reduction of those physical ailments. So are we not well, I think if you're decreasing fight or, fight or flight, yeah. you know, if you're in fight or flight, that's stress, that'll promote inflammation. I think that's, yeah. that's well, well, mm. well established, is it not? But, mm. So yeah, totally. If you're but, decreasing it, that. I guess I'm, tr- I'm trying to find some defense for people that will say like, you know, the crystals have actually done amazing things for me on a physical level as well. And I could probably see a situation where through a mediator, of stress or anxiety re- reduction, the it, crystals it, 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 might help someone it, in a sure, really it, but again, it, we're, we're, causative it, way. It comes down to what the pathology is. If it's psychic pathology versus whether or not it's organic pathology, right? Okay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I get you. Right? So the things it will help with, again, are, are the symptoms or I guess to some extent psychic pathology, which is not organic necessarily or, you know, organic pathology. So... You can treat stress with anti-stress things and things that flow on from bad stress will resolve, but you can't be treating organic pathological processes with crystals. But imagine, so here's an, here's but an example. But the symptoms might improve. Say I, say I like break my arm or, or I have sure. some kind of, or I have a cancer or something like that. Mm-hmm. There might be some internal bodily system whereby things are exacerbated by those anxieties and stresses and all yeah. that stuff so but, but those are symptoms that's what i'm saying that's symptomatology that's not that is not the organic pathology that you're dealing with but the organic pathology is the thing prior to the anxiety and stress and if crystals are going to help me the original pathology reduce its symptoms right yeah I no, don't see but what that, no no is. i agree no anyway i, I think we're potentially but in you, a semantic you, you, again well no you, again, you've just described treating the symptoms and how in and, and your subjective experience of the pathology, that's what placebos do really well. Okay. How many they, studies? They won't change your broken arm. But I'm saying it might. It, anyway. It won't. Okay. Anyway. How many studies are done like on 
broken arms and cancers and crystals though you know yeah, what i mean like so probably not but, many on crystals <laughs> no but i'm just no. saying like we could initiate one we could there's not a lot of people i'm not saying i i find that hard to believe that that could you know be a cure yeah no, it's clearly like, more a dream catcher situation yeah <laughs> it's in it's in that realm yeah. but yeah. like also how many studies have actually been done on that well so on that maybe not a lot but there are studies done on things like turmeric. We had an episode on yeah. the turmeric thing. You know how every health blog says, have turmeric and it'll solve all of your I'm problems. I'm sure there's ever. turmeric toothpaste. There have to be, right? Yeah, there's... Yeah. Must be. There's turmeric as an ingredient there's at no their way. minimum. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Must yeah. be. If they're putting licorice root and stuff into but, it, I mean, else. If you've put... It, dude, if it's nature's used, fluoride. If you've used turmeric in anything, you know it's just turning that whole thing bright yellow, right? Yeah. I don't, yeah. want that, I don't want that shit on my teeth. <laughs> and then you wash it off and then it appears so much lighter and then people think you've, you've got yeah. whiter teeth. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a contrast thing. Yeah. 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 It's what, that's how I think charcoal toothpaste works as well. It's like, wow, like, my teeth are you, black. If you, if you like, put something black on your teeth and then wipe it off, like, your go, eyes yeah. will pick it up. It's like, whoa, my teeth are <laughs> so white. You know? They were literally black it's two like, minutes ago. It's like how much lighter is does a room feel when you like close your eyes or you're like wearing a mask and then you open your eyes in broad daylight versus just yeah. gradually mm. experiencing that over, you know? So anyway, I'm learning any new, uh, big advances coming to dentistry. Oh yeah. Good question. That'll be kind of coming across our shelves soon. Shelves or like procedural Shel- or well, I guess both. Anything in the next say five years is going to change how we, the public interact with, Dental health, um, either day to day or in terms of in the dentist chair. Uh, I think that people are more aware of the mouth body connection, so mm-hmm. that's definitely happening. I think we're taking less of an adversarial approach to like bacteria in the mouth. You know, like the Listerine ads where they're exploding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the bacteria so within the mouth, or like even fluoride toothpaste with all this like kill everything, like yeah. triclosan, like your mouth kill, has to be a hospital. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's more like okay, how can we use probiotics and you know diet to actually make the bacterial friendly, not not a whole bunch of aggressive, angry stuff. Yeah. So that's the way it's moving, and then you know, obviously, more pain-free stuff and um, you know better technology. Do you guys use the wand? We've had the wand um, and don't have it anymore. Well, it's it takes a long time to deliver it. Yeah. So you know, in in short. It's basically a, a pain-free needle that just is delivered really slowly. But we just find if we get a really, really small gauge and deliver it slowly yeah. anyway, it's about the same. Right. So, so this is anesthetic, you mean? Yeah. Anesthetic, yeah. 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 I heard one of the benefits was, it, I don't know how true this is, that you can actually target single teeth rather than getting like a, you know, having to kind of, I guess, come more proximal, freezing a more proximal part of the branch of the nerve. Yeah. So you're not going to be freezing tongue, cheek, gums. You, you can't get a you targeted could, towards kind of single tooth procedures. True or not true? Yeah, I mean we kind of do it that way on the upper jaw anyway, but right. often you have to do what's called a block yeah. down the bottom. Um, so that's where you take out your lip and your cheek and your tongue on that side that you're yeah, working yeah. on. Yeah. So I don't think you can really get around that for all procedures. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just some stuff that you'll feel. Yeah. And you don't want that. Yeah. Cool. Well, Dr. Lewis, thanks for joining us on this journey into all things dental, oral and uh, floridical. <laughs> can we call, it, can we call this episode that topic of fluoride? Oh, yeah, I like that. Uh, that's topic dangerous. of fluoride. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty good, right? It's got a good ring to it. Yeah. 
It's, it's almost as good as my Topic Thunder one from last week. Nope. <laughs> you reckon it's better? It's much better. Okay. <laughs> topic of fluoride. Uh, no, thanks very much. It's, it's been good to, to chat to someone that knows no teeth. Um, now let's go get these two filthy with some food. That's it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. Leaky. It's been good. Yeah. Um, we do have a final question, which do you don't know this, but I'm going to ask all of our guests, oh. uh, which is, what is your totem animal? Oh, really? Totem yeah. animal. Can you explain that? Yeah. What is, what is do the you mean, anim- Do you mean like a spirit animal? Yeah. I mean like a spirit like, animal. Like, oh. what, like what like 16-year-old girls talk about with each yeah. other? Yeah. And, and <laughs> we have talked about that with each other numerous times. Yeah, of course times. we have. <laughs> And I and think we're just as getting at your spirit. I'm about animal. to get my octopus tattoo, and I know that you got your like zebra stamp ready to go on the. But the back. problem is, I think in the in the demographic that we're discussing, spirit animal no longer even refers to animals. It can be situations, times. That's true. Yeah, other people. Just nouns. Yeah, yeah. it can be like you know, fridge is my spirit animal. Yeah, you're like you, you like fridges. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Ibiza is my spirit animal. You've been to Ibiza. Yeah, <laughs> it's a new way of speaking. World's gone mad. Yeah. It has. It really has. Uh, I've got a suggestion for you if you don't want to self-nominate. Okay. Dugong. I'll tell you why. Because they eat a lot of greens. Right. The Dugong just basically eats... Freaking loves iceberg lettuce. There you go. Have they got uh, teeth I, or baleens? That's a good point. I don't, know, I don't know about their teeth and how they look, but certainly from a diet perspective, you're the Dugong, bro. I was going to go for a cheetah. Cheetah? Because I run fast and I'm dangerous. You got those weird spots all over you. Yeah, have you noticed? Yeah, yeah. It's, it was weird. Good thing you're a doctor. Dugong it is. <laughs> he chooses Dugong. Yeah. Jeremyzine.com if you want to know about uh, what we do. And we do some animations and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So check that out. And we make toothpaste. And we make toothpaste. And we're about to throw to the second half of this week's episode where it's a bit of a pre-record. We recorded it a bit earlier. It's a bank debt. It's a bank debt, but it's about... <laughs> the downsides potentially of water fluoridation. So we're continuing that chat and rounding it off, looking at the pineal gland mm-hmm. and also um, the calls. Well, allegedly there's issues around fluoride being in rat poison or historically at least. And that pineal stuff is the most interesting scientific stuff I've come across all year. Yeah. So stick around. know that fluoride itself is pretty bloody safe especially in the doses that we use it so we tend to have it in the water at something like a few milligrams per liter mm-hmm. and i think that the mat the dose the recommended dose is something like 10 milligrams per day you can have up to that and that's kind of what you can uh ingest safely in terms of actual fluoride but sodium fluoride is a a conjugated salt of fluoride and that's where it gets dangerous so some of the um uh, some of the compounds made with fluoride are actually what's quite dangerous, not fluoride in itself. Ah. So sodium fluoride is particularly toxic and a few other um, salts of, of yeah. fluoride are actually very, very toxic. But again, in pretty high doses. So you have to have that fluoride combine and make uh, sodium fluoride, number one, and then you have to have that in a massive dose, right? So 
if you're getting fluoride, for example, in the water at a rate of 10 milligrams, which is even then I think a high dose of fluoride, but safe, you need to have sodium fluoride in the order of grams per liter. So between five, like I think five grams per liter of sodium fluoride starts to get dangerous. I think people have died with like a five gram ingestion. Oh, wow. Okay. Of fluoride. Yeah. But think about how many liters of water. You, That's an, an you, you have to have a yeah. hundred liters, 500 <laughs> liters of water. That's right. To, in, meet, in, your, to meet your deadly dose, right? That's right. right. In, in a period of time that didn't allow you to urinate. Exactly. In, so you got to drink yeah. 500 liters of purely, of a hundred percent conversion of fluoride to sodium fluoride yeah. for it to be dangerous. Yeah. It's completely impossible for that to happen, right? So in the doses that we have it, it's so ridiculously safe that there's really no downside. And that's the and sodium fluoride seems to be the biggest concern in terms of fluoride being toxic. Yep. Uh, fluoride in and of itself, if it's just fluoride in you, especially the doses we're talking, we don't seem to have any reports of any downside to it. So I think we can basically put the general toxicity of fluoride to rest with those numbers. That's what, that's just what I'm with you. Yep. Now, in terms of other things, now we talk about fluoride is in rat poison. Yep. What do you know about that? Uh, I don't know very much. I didn't look into the, the usage. Okay. Of, because to me, that's not a convincing argument because there's a, an insane amount of things would be in rat poison, like presumably some sweeteners or so, sugar. something. Sugar. Sugar would be in yeah. it, right? And that's not poisonous. That's one Maybe way. Maybe it's some, some kind of like stabilizing thing or I, I don't know. But Lectin. The, the fact that it's in there. And also, as we know with fluoride, yeah. the dangers are dose related, right? Things yeah. become poisonous at high doses. At high doses. Yeah. You can name a myriad of things that are poisonous only at certain high doses, exactly. right? Everything is toxic at the right dose. Exactly. Right. So Milk, that, that's not right? yeah. So it's not lactose would be toxic at a certain dose, yeah. right? There's there's an LD fifty for every compound, and the LD fifty is the dose at which half of the people would die from it. Never heard of that. Yeah, so LD fifty yeah, yeah. LD fifty is a common way of, of determining that the, the lethal toxic dose of a substance. Interesting. Right. L- lethal dose fifty. Lethal dose 50. That is, okay, LD50 is a metal band, right? It's pretty wicked, right? Yeah. Yeah. The lethal dose of music at which half of our audience dies. (laughs) That's really good. Uh, We are the LD50. Um, It's better than UB40, right? (laughs) (laughs) Would it be a death metal UB40 cover band? It would absolutely be a death metal UB40 band. Yeah. That's pretty good. (laughs) So. Jeremy Zion, we're a science podcast. With a penchant for band names. white boy reggae and band names. Yeah. So, so in terms of uh, rat poison, we back when this was being talked about, um, early forms of rat poison did in fact use fluoride. I think they used sodium fluoride, and that was actually the active ingredient. So it wasn't just in there as yep. a, a side no, ingredient. It was, it was, it the, was the, the actual real freaking poison. Yeah. But it was in there at a high enough dose to kill rats. Yeah. Um, it wasn't there in tooth levels. Yeah. So it was there at, you know, in a crazy high dose. They experimented with low levels and all of a sudden these rats just had amazing beautiful teeth. Beautiful teeth. They just, <laughs> they could chew, they were, they were, you know, chew through anything. Chew through, yeah. <laughs> right. And they're like, shit, more fluoride. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, so there was some truth to that. Right. But yeah, it just happened to be that that was being used in, in, a, in a crazy high dose. Yeah. But um, you're never going to get people, particularly hyper progressive people to understand the difference between what's a poison at low dose and, and what's therapeutic? And why, what's yeah therapeutic, right? They're going to exactly. hear this conversation and still think it's in rat poison. Exactly. Like, how do you get around that? Well, I'll tell you how you get around it. You talk about what's in rat poison today. Okay. Right. Um, and so, it's not in rat poison anymore. 
Rat poison now is used as a blood thinner, which is called warfarin. In the States, it's called coumarin or coumadin. Curcumin? Curcumin. So in maybe a quarter of my patients, of the elderly patients, are on warfarin yeah. right now. It's, a, it's, it's the most common, by far, the most common blood thinner yeah. in the population that people take for heart arrhythmia. Wow. So most people out here who are listening who have grandparents, one of them they're is taking probably, rat they're taking rat poison. So yeah. that's a good example of it being used as a poison right now for some people, for, for animals, but in the right doses, um, we use it therapeutically to very good results. And it's completely safe when used properly. And it's actually, it has to be monitored very closely because it's yeah. a very powerful compound. But it's, it's the exact same. We still have a compound. Rat poison is still, as it was 100 years ago, incorporating a therapeutic product that's being used in toxic doses. Yeah. Right? So that's how you try to explain to someone um, that the person who's telling you that you can't have fluoride because it's a rat poison may literally be taking rat poison themselves right now. Yeah. Voluntarily. And only that. Not, you know, so I think that's a really important thing to talk about. Next is, I think Mark mentioned to you the third eye. The calcification of the, the calcification third eye. The calcification of the third eye, which is pretty awesome, right? It sounds like it. it sounds like an Indiana Jones yeah. movie. Indiana Jones and the calcification of the third eye. Um, so tell me what you know about the third eye. It is the pineal gland. That's right, the pineal gland. Pineal or pineal gland, as Dr. Joe Dispenza would, describes would it. Would a calcified third eye leave your third eye blind? Mm. <laughs> mm? Do you think the third, third eye Very blind were, were anti-fluoridators? <laughs> they must have been, yeah. And all the all the songs were vague messages about anti-fluoridation what policy. What was semi-charmed life about? Fluoride. Was it? Absolutely. There we go. You're living your semi-charmed life, and the whole time you're drinking fluoride water, killing off your third eye, calcifying it, turning into a little stone. Yeah. All right, so what's the pineal gland? Uh, I actually don't know very much about it. So, okay. I'm so the pineal gland is a small, tiny little gland in your brain. It's sort of like a little nugget that's lodged almost right in the middle give of me the a, brain. Give me an equivalent nut size. As in what size? Are we talking Brazil nut? Are we talking... Uh, hazelnut? Okay. Yep. Small. Okay. Um, right in the middle of your brain. That should be the standard SI units for, should for be. various... Yeah. Yeah. Nuts are pretty consistent in their sizes, very right? Much. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so the pineal gland, and that's responsible for melatonin uh, secretion, and that kind of has a kind of a um, circadian rhythm implications. Okay, right. Now, what's really interesting is that uh, for a long time, some Eastern medicine or Eastern communities talk about the idea of a third eye, you mm-hmm. know, chakras. Yep. The third eye is you know you have one eye that sees, and one I think they say that there's like you have your first eye that sees, your second eye does something else, and your third eye is. Something to do with reality sure. or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. The idea of this Eastern concept of the third eye. And some people have gone on to propose that there is actually a physical third eye. That the third eye is not just a um, metaphysical concept, but it's actually an anatomical structure yeah. Yeah. in the body, right? Um, which to me, when you first hear that, you're like, oh, God, seriously, like, does everything have to come down to people trying to find something in the body well, that references let, everything? Let, like, let, let me jump in and say that I met someone that was wearing sunglasses yeah. that were in fact three sunglasses like three lenses yeah yeah, with one in the middle above the two others it's pretty good yeah he didn't have to say anything and i knew exactly what it was about so yeah so my first reaction when i read about the pineal gland and or about the third eye being something physical 
was just like, this is such bullshit. Like, why do you have to find something in the body that represents the third eye? Yeah. And Descartes went so far as to say, many years ago, Descartes was a pretty smart guy. Yeah. He had a theory that the pineal gland he's was He's my actually, math boy as well. Is he? He's, yeah, of course he is. He's yeah, yeah. Cartesian. X and Y. So his- one He's of the his, original Coldplay. One, one, of his, <laughs> one of his Cartesian theories um, was that the pineal gland was actually the seat of the human soul. Okay. Right? And so you start looking at it and going, why are you trying to like anatomize spirituality? It's like backwards why? proofing. The whole yeah, yeah. thing is that spirituality is meant to be about something that's the ether. It's intangible. Why does it have to have a sort of a structural home or the, anything, right? The interesting thing is that you, you, I would think that you get spirituality from the physical the physical reality creates a spiritual reality, right? Whereas this seems to go the other way. It's like you have your spiritual reality and then you create physical things that support that. Well, the, is, they're trying to find proof. They're that's like, right. well, you, you tell me that you want proof for a soul? Well, it's here in the pineal gland. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, why is that proof for the soul? You yeah. just found something that you don't know what else it does because this is 100 years ago. Yeah. And so you just tell me that it's going to be the seat of the soul. Uh, it should be noted that at the time that Descartes thought that the pineal gland was where the soul lived, no one else thought that. Okay. They thought it was just another endocrine or uh, gland in the body that had endocrine function, which means it secreted hormones okay. like any other gland in the body. But now you have to put Descartes on the side of the ledger for people that believe in this pineal gland third eye thing, yeah. right? Yeah. But here's what gets really interesting, and this blew my mind. There is something called the, the pineal eye. As it as scientifically, scientifically described as the pineal eye. Scientifically. Um, and this, dude, I can't even believe I'm saying this and that this is real. This is not hokum. This is not pseudoscience. This is a real thing. Almost all reptiles and amphibians have a third eye. Are we about to go into reptile brain territory? So this, this comes back into lizard brain shit, right? Okay, right. And I know it sounds crazy and I'm talking like Mark here, but it's legit. There is a physical third eye in almost all reptiles and amphibians. And once you know what it is and you look at photos of them, you can see it right there on all of their heads. Okay. On the top of their skull, they pull up a photo of, type in third eye I'm, I'm, reptile. I'm going to third eye reptile. Right. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Um, and it looks like just a slightly bigger scale on the top of their head. I actually recognize, like and when I see it, I'm like, I've seen that so many times and never yeah, thought about it. And you just think it's part yeah. of their the pattern of, uh, of their tiles or scales, right? Yeah. No, it's not a scale. It's actually an eye and it's light receptive. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have any resolution. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a binary uh, light receptive organ. And there's a hole in the skull where it goes. So it has a, a socket, an orbit, like the regular eyes do. And it's attached to the pineal gland. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. So the pineal gland historically, from an evolutionary perspective, have a, has evolved at least into And that's something. why, well, that's why it's involved in melatonin and circadian rhythms because it is a light sensing structure. I got it. And so- And you don't want that calcified, right? You don't want that calcified. But so right away, off that, the foundation of this idea of a third eye and the pineal gland, that part is true. And that is why the pineal gland is recognized now. Maybe we didn't know that when Descartes was around, but amazingly, we seem to know it now. That, yeah, the pineal gland does seem to be a third eye. Like it's a, it's actually not just a, a pseudo third eye. It's a real third eye. And in some animals, it's quite eye-like as well, right? So that's right so, off the bat. That's incredible. And now, do we do we get any evidence to suggest that fluoride intake affects we that don't. pineal gland? No, okay. that's what we don't have. So we do right. know that the pineal gland uh, tends to calcify, and it tends to calcify the order you get. Now, we don't actually know why it calcifies. 
But it seems to be independent of territory where its water is fluoridated or not. Okay. So it happens in China, it happens in Germany, it happens in the States, it happens in Canada. We just know that the pineal gland starts to calcify in childhood and gets more and more calcified as you get older. In some cases, it's, it can be pathological. It can be the sign of a tumor or something else going on if it's kind of overly calcified at a young age. But we just know that the pineal gland seems to calcify. Just does. And, and it calcifies all over the world, irrespective. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's probably not a great thing. Like it probably has implications for its its for its function in terms of melatonin. Maybe that's why the older you get, your your you have worse sleep. Uh, all these other issues may be attributed to that. So yeah, we don't want a calcified pineal gland, but there's no evidence it has anything to do with fluoride. And there's no there's no way we can kind of assess how to stop its calcification. There's no, there's no evidence that yeah. No. It, it almost it reminds me of male pattern baldness, where like people try to find reasons for why dudes go bald. Sure. And there's, there's a whole bunch of forums of people that suggest, you know, don't, don't go to the gym that much because if you go, you know, you go yeah. to the gym, you start losing all your hair, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And people are like, I went to the gym in my twenties and then I started losing my hair in my thirties and stuff. And it's like, Oh, it must've been that. So you, you get yeah. this with the pineal gland, same kind of thing, right? Well, but it's, it's like the, um, the hysteria you talked about yeah. in, uh, in Newburgh. That's right. It's the same thing, right? There's an adverse outcome. And they, it makes teeth hard. It must be what makes the pineal gland hard too. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but it's all, but it's not implicated in atherosclerosis, which is a hardening and calcification of the arteries. Yeah. You know, you don't see more atherosclerosis in communities with, with, uh, with fluoride treatments. Otherwise we definitely stop that. Cause that's one of the leading causes of death yeah. in the world. Right. So why do we think that the, why fluoride is particularly implicated in pineal calcification? Mm. No, no evidence to support that at all. But I was just so stoked with the whole pineal third eye thing. That's amazing. Unbelievable yeah, yeah. stuff. Just crazy. Would it be something that we could easily study though? That's the thing. Well, I'm, sure. The, the argument coming well, back, sure. I, I might be put my, you know, put my Mark hat, hat on for a moment. Yeah. How would it be possible to study that and get effective outcomes? Surely like you need a long-term study. You need people to keep drinking fluoride water. And oh, by the way, don't go somewhere else where it's not fluoridated. We're going to keep you there for a good couple of years. Well, there's already there are communities where people don't travel where they've had no fluoride in the water, and you just you do a CT scan and you could you don't need to cut the pineal gland out. You can scan them and look for calcification in the pineal gland in communities that do and don't have fluoride. Yeah, I guess it's not too. It's, it's not too pretty difficult. simple. You, you, I right? mean, you, you press the adjust for confounders button on your. And so uh, enough people analysis. get um, brain CT scans for you know in the hospitals around the world. And there's enough um, difference between kind of fluoridation in developed nations, right? So the states itself would have communities that do and don't, and they'd all have probably even rates of head CT scanning of different people. We would have picked up a difference between those two communities yeah. based on the level of calcification of the pineal gland, if there was a concern, or mm. of anything else, right? And again, there's just no reason why the pineal gland would be particularly susceptible to uh, fluoride and we don't even know why fluoride would calcify things that's not what it does it's mm. not, it doesn't calcify it makes it makes fluoroappetite as we've said in the earlier episodes of the show sometimes something doesn't make scientific sense or epidemiological sense right the first principles there's no reason why it should do that and then you shouldn't be surprised when you do studies and you find that it doesn't seem to do that across a lot of people yeah we're unlike the fluoride we're like well scientifically we know it makes sense it makes fluoroappetite fluoroappetite should be protective against cavities and what do you find you find it seems to be, do exactly that so anyway all right so we might call it there that's mm. been that's been our um expose on fluoridation we're jeremysiron.com if you want to check us out online we do a bunch of other stuff some animations 
Uh, what else we do? All part of the greater Ironworks family. The Ironworks podcast family. Yeah, that's it. See you around. <laughs>